Willkommen bei Muckefuck Berlin, ein Podcast für die Berliner Kreativszene. Welcome Ben, thank you for being here and for joining Muckefuck Berlin. It is very cool to be here. I'm excited. Awesome. Actually, I'm at your place, which is, this is true. also a great honor. It's um, today is one of these very hot summer days, and yeah, right now just there's just started, Yeah, we just have a thunderstorm now, so yeah, it's gonna cool off. Also, sometimes you might hear some noises of jumping cats <laughs> in or, the background, or one of them just talking. So yeah, Ben has two cats. I do. <laughs> what are what are the names again? Lenka and Lily. Uh, and they're very old, right? They are. They are. They're they're fifteen, uh, going to be sixteen. Um, they're sisters from the same litter. My wife Yasmin uh, found them at a and like a tierarts at a, a veterinary uh, place here in in Neukölln years ago, and I married into the family. They were they were with my wife before I was. I'm adopted. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you know the term Katzenmusik at all? No, but I'm super curious. Like, I mean, it makes sense to me, but obviously there must be something behind it. Katzenmusik. It's okay. not a very nice term. Okay, this is okay. So, you know when there's cats yes. at night and you hear them like meowing? Sure. Like they're like meow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of katzenmusik. That's katzenmusik. And then you refer to musicians that aren't that oh, good. Who aren't great. As All right, people like, who are making katzenmusik. Oh no. But you're not one of those people. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so I don't know what the opposite of that is. I don't think it's hundemusik or anything. Let's hope <laughs> not. No. No, but tell us about what kind of music you're doing. Okay, so, uh, well, I like to call it indie folk. Um, I don't know if those two words really mean anything uh, because they be, they're becoming so deconstructed now and associated with so many different things. Um, to a, a true folk musician, I don't necessarily think I, I fall into that category. Um, basically what that means is I play the acoustic guitar and I sing and write my own tunes. They tend to be uh, melancholy and sad. Um, and... I love that they're acoustic, um, and they try to keep them that way. Um, yeah, that's that's it. I mean, that's kind of really what it is. Indie folk, which just means I'm like so many a white man with acoustic guitar, <laughs> and I sing sad tunes. Well, it seems like you have a pretty good idea of what you want to do with your music, and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that, that shifts and change and mm -hmm. changes. Um, Music for me, for I fell into music. I, I grew up in a very musical home, but people weren't playing instruments. Um, my dad's an engineer, my mom is, is an artist, is a painter. Um, I played trumpet for a long time and went to college and realized I wasn't going to study music, but I needed an outlet and playing trumpet in the in the dorm or the Studentenwohnheim just wasn't gonna work. And so I, I started playing guitar and just fell in love. Um, I'm a, just a rhythm guitar player. Um, and I don't know what it is. It's just 
six strings in this box of wood somehow can make something very magical that means something very much to me. And uh, um, I just started writing songs. I think like a lot of people do, just based around their influences, people who are, what, what you're listening to and what's shaping you. And uh, when I really started writing, I was listening to a lot of Damien Rice at the time. Um, do you remember your first song? First song that I ever wrote? Yeah. Was that a conscious moment of like, this is my first song? Or? Yeah, well, I, but I, there is very much the conscious moment for the first song that I ever felt like was good. <laughs> my, my, my first song on the guitar, this is gonna be, this is super guitar nerdy, uh, was I was learning how to play chords and playing chords when you're beginning is, is so difficult because your, your, your fingers aren't, aren't, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and uh, so I would play uh, a D major seven chord. I love major seven chords, they're just, they're phenomenal. Um, I think the Beatles love them too. Th this is very true, yes. It's also yeah. very nerdy, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. but so the, uh, a D major seven chord is very, very, very simple. You play it with three fingers, they all line up. It's a very comfortable shape, it just, it's just, it's simple. If you take two fingers away, and you play certain strings that then turns into a G major seven um, uh, in a very rudimentary, rudimentary sense. Um, and I would do that for hours, just back and forth. Um, and um, I'm sure I annoyed my roommate too. Mm. That was pro that like in my mind, like that's like the first time I discovered chord changes and things that I found pleasing. Um, but the first song that I actually wrote that I felt really good about writing and it being, uh, being something that at least encouraged, encouraged me to go to the next level was a song called Just, uh, Just As You Are. And, and what, what I actually did is I took uh, a text that my my wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time, had written years ago, and she had given me a collection of, of, of poems that she had written. And I had taken a line of, 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 of one of her poems, and the line had, had just as you are in it. And I, uh, I put that over major seven chords. <laughs> and, uh, and I, uh, yeah, and I actually, I played it on this, like, classical nylon string style guitar. I recorded it on a mini disc player, which is old school technology, and a really, um, just a small, no great, good microphone, but I thought I was so cool for doing it. Like I had written a song, I recorded it, um, and to be honest, I haven't played it for probably since 2004. So, wow. Yeah, but that's the first song, yeah. I think you should play it again sometime. I don't know if I can actually remember it. I'd be so curious to I hear it. <laughs> I would have to go back and... What's interesting though, this is kind of jumping off of that. Right after that, I did write a song uh, that, that's called Parallel Lines, and it's very stream of consciousness. Um, um, I had, we had, um, in university, I, I took a German film class, and we had, we were watching um, a lot of different, just a lot of different silent German film, and uh, um, 
and in one of the scenes of a movie and it's slipping my mind the name of the movie right now but there's this scene of workers going to work every morning like how they always do and they march in lines uh, so there's the people going to work and the people leaving work simultaneously these mm -hmm. parallel lines um, and so I was thinking about that and I had had a glass of wine and so I just began to write in stream of consciousness um, and it's I think the song is very much foreshadowing where I'm at now as a songwriter, but I've recently gone back to kind of rediscover the song, um, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, so that's a song that I wrote in in 2000, yeah, in 2004, before I became Romer, before I, you know, figured out what I wanted to do. I, that's a song that I still think holds up in some interesting ways. Mm -hmm. When do you feel most creative or in that kind of flow of creativity? Is there a special situation that you can recall or is it just totally random? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, for me, creativity is, is when I feel most creative, I guess, is, well, when it, when it revolves around music and songwriting, um, It's when I have a, a guitar in my hands. Um, and, and I don't have an agenda. Um, I like to think that there are times when inspiration will strike and, and I think it's our job as, as, as songwriters, as creatives, regardless of your, your mean, your, your, your mode of creativity, um, um, is to respond to inspiration. Um, and I don't wait for it to strike. I just assume that it's going to be there. Uh, so the more often I can have a guitar in my hands, the better I might land, the better chance of having of me having the ability to land on something. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the, the most time when I feel the most creative would be something like, would be something like this. Um, I sit down with a guitar and melody tends to happen very fast for me. And so I just messing around over some chords and I have, I'm just singing something nonsense, words, sounds. Um, then I start to write something, maybe I'll land on like a, a text or some sort of something. Um, I tend to keep my songs pretty simplistic in terms of form. Uh, I like repetitive things and so it's I guess when I feel the most creative is when I can actually set the guitar down go somewhere else but continue writing in my head because I know the melodies and I know where it's going um, to be honest that's when I feel the most creative so I'm, I'm not with the guitar anymore but I've started to make something and now I can go do life and work or do something else, but I am writing a song in my head. That's pretty cool. So like the guitar is like starting a motor or something? And yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's, a, yeah, it's a good point, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't think I've heard um, that kind of songwriting approach so far. Well, it didn't start that way. Mm -hmm. I think songwriting is, is very much like a, is a skill that one develops over time. Uh, I guess you could also compare it to maybe working out or training. Um, 
the more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, and then also learning more about yourself and how, what's your process and how you do that. And, um, I know how I write songs and at least for this season that I'm in and so I do it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So what kind of songwriters inspire you? Um, <laughs> that was a cat. <laughs> yeah, that's Lenka. Um, you know, what type of songwriters inspire me? You know, I'm, I'm interested in people who are really good at telling stories. Good songs are when the listener of the song begins to understand the artist or sees the artist in a new way. A great song is when the listener understands themselves in a new way. Hmm. I want to be that. I want to write... I want... I actually want to be both. Because um, at the end of the day, I actually don't write for anybody but myself. I write music because I'm a songwriter. And it keeps me sane. It's part of my mental health and overall well-being. Um, but in terms of songwriters who shape me, are the people who have that type of attitude as well? People who are inspired, at least, at least what I perceive. It's kind of hard because, you know, you can listen to somebody on the radio or on Spotify or on a vinyl and you have no personal connection to them other than the way in which they're writing or the music that they're making. And that's, I guess, a type of relationship. It's very one-sided in some ways. Um, but artists who, who've always got me are the artists who are able to just tell really compelling stories that are very unique and very nuanced, but I'm able to find myself in the story. There's a, a folk singer from the 60s and 70s, his name is Dan Fogelberg. Um, uh, he's, he's well known for a tune called The Leader of the Band. And the song is essentially about his, about his dad uh, and how his dad wanted to be a musician, but for a variety of reasons couldn't do it. But he, as his son, is doing it. And he finds himself in lonely hotel rooms and, um, and he's re reflecting on his life as a musician. And whether it be biographical, true or not, like that's not the point. He's writing this amazing song and the song at the end of the day is about this. Is this son is now starting to understand his father in a very interesting way as he's becoming an adult. Um, and there's this line, it's amazing. He's basically coming to the realization that his father is not a man of words who would tell you how he feels with words. Um, uh, uh, but he's coming to the, 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 the writer, Dan Fogelberg, is coming to the realization in this story that he really wishes that he told his father that, it, that he loved him more often. Hmm. Um, and as a guy, as a man who has a really great dad who tells me, all the time that he loves me. Uh, that's a song that still messes with me. It's one of my favorite songs to this day because I get it. I can see that story. I think in many ways because where that because it meets me in a personal intersection um, where Dan Fogelberg doesn't doesn't know me, doesn't know my dad, doesn't know my grandfather. Uh, that song means something to me because I can see how that song ties into 
a story that that exists between my dad and his father, my grandfather. Oh, okay. Um, and who's a man I've actually never met. My grandfather uh, passed away um, uh, shortly after I was born. Um, and so it's artists who are able to tell really compelling stories. Um, well, along those lines of Dan Fogelberg, another artist who really is just popping into my mind right now is, is a person I recently saw live. 2015, I saw him live. His name is David Ramirez. He's from Austin, Texas. Uh, I saw him in Denver, Colorado, in this gorgeous, gorgeous theater. It was just him and an acoustic guitar in a room that could fit 5,000 people, and there was maybe 500 people in this room. It was amazing. Um, and I didn't know what to expect, but I was blown away. Um, he was twangy and beautifully sad and honest. Um, said a lot of things that uh, were playing off of really interesting metaphors um, to where if you understood the, the metaphor, it meant one thing, but you didn't have to to appreciate it, which was awesome and badass. I went back to my hotel room after the show and I bought every single thing that he's ever recorded on iTunes. And I actually, just last year, he came to Berlin for the first time to play a show. Um, he played at Barquette here in Berlin to a room of maybe 20 people, which is such a shame because this man is the, he's just, he's amazing. Um, and he was so generous with the room and the space uh, what was cool was everyone who was in that, for the most part, everyone who was there for that show were people who knew his music. And so we knew how ridiculously special this was. And then he goes to Sweden the very next day and plays, you know, for like a thousand people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to describe. Uh, to, to me, th th there are similarities between him, uh, Dan Fogelberg, and David Ramirez. But what they are is just essentially really great storytellers. Um, where I'm able to um, find parts of me in the music that they make. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I think the way you responded to that by buying his songs is a very great way to respond to liking someone's music. Mm -hmm. You know, especially because, you know, these days it's very easy to not. Oh, this is very true. Yeah. It's hard for musicians to even sell anything. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very great way to show your support. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that as a musician, as one who makes albums. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So you've made um, three albums, am I correct? Or well, no, well I've, I've, made, I've made two albums, um, an, e an EP and some singles. I've done more, um, but in terms of what's what's out in the public and what can be consumed and found anywhere music is streamed or, or, or for sale. Um, so I have two full-length albums and, um, and then just some kind of weird singles that turn into some other things. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Is there anything new coming up? 2018, last year, I actually recorded two projects. Um, and I, I wrote the two projects simultaneously. Um, 
One was an album that was released this year in January called I Can't Impress You With Words, which I recorded here in Berlin um, with my wife and just some really good friends who are Berlin-based musicians. Um, we actually recorded it here in our kitchen where we're sitting right now. Um, and But while I was writing that those songs, I was also writing a different project uh, that is coming out on a very small um, label called Old Bear Records that is out of Batavia, New York, which is right next to Buffalo, New York. Um, and um, I'm, I wrote five songs, a five-song EP, and recorded it there in New York in the Old Bear Studios. Um, and those five songs are all revolving around, it's very niche, they're all revolving around gun control, gun violence, um, and what in the world that means for people of faith. Wow. Uh, and so, which is super fun. I like to be very specific when I can be. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that was, that's recorded, it's done, it's mixed and mastered, um, and now it's kind of up to the label as to when it's coming out. But we're possibly uh, fall, winter 2019. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, there's other artists in the lineup before me, so we'll find out uh, when that happens. But I'm excited about it. You're kind of trying to go for a debate there, right? Or, or is it... Well, you know, that's, that's interesting. Um, yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm North American. I'm, I'm from the U.S., I've lived in Berlin for 14 years. Um, I used to be a, a minister in, in, in a church. I studied comparative religions and theology. Um, I grew up in, in, in very much a, a religious home. Um, I also grew up around firearms, uh, but not like in, I feel like, and it's not, it's not a wrong characterization, but, like, there's this notion that, like, Americans are armed, like, heavily armed. And, like, they are. But, <laughs> but uh, we weren't hunting or anything like that. Or uh, my, we had inherited um, some guns from our family being passed down through the generations. Uh, my dad, uh, for a period of time, had to, to carry a, a firearm for his job. Um, and uh, gun safety was very important. It was a part of my upbringing. So I grew up around responsible gun use um, um, and, and also in a religious context. Um, but uh, as I've become an adult and continued my studies academically and just started meeting a lot of different people and living in different places and um, know, learning what is normal in a cultural setting and what is not normal in another cultural setting. Um, and then just being 100% confronted with how gun-related violence and death in North America, it's not just in North America, we turn on the news, I mean, I mean what happened in Christchurch uh, several months ago, I mean, not even several months ago, I mean, that's, and of course, people are being shot and killed and, or wounded and hurt all the time. It was just a recent shooting in my home state of, of Virginia. Um, but gun-related death and injury 
in North America is unfortunately very synonymous with America. Um, and there are, or at least the perception, but it's not just a perception, there are people who uh, would say that they are shaped and formed by Jesus, the ways of Jesus. We're supposed to love our enemies and um, all that, uh, but we're also going to be armed. <laughs> um, th I mean, this is very crude and irresponsible to say, but there is this notion that if Jesus was armed, obviously he would not have been crucified, <laughs> um, which is such a stupid thing to say. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I wanted to write something. I wanted. I was compelled by the notion of writing songs. To not start a debate, it was actually me to, it was more for, again, I write for me, but this is a very specific niche direction that the label asked me to, to, to do something in. And I wanted to see, could I wrestle with, what does it mean to be a person of faith, a Christian, and an American, a white male, um, who grew up around firearms um, how do I justify that with, 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 with my faith at least how I'm understanding my faith and so the songs are me wrestling with that um, it's me telling stories like uh, nowhere near like what David Ramirez and Dan Folkerberg do but I am telling stories I'm intentionally using really interesting metaphors uh, to talk about other things uh, and using a simile, and, which is super fun for me. Uh, I have a song called R Russian Roulette um, and I'm totally using the notion, the, the gratuitous stupid game of Russian Roulette. Oh, what a horrible game. Um, uh, I'm totally using that as a metaphor to talk about something completely different that is 100% rooted in uh, at least Western Protestant expressions of Christianity, um, which for me was a blast. Uh, I love doing it. Um, but then I also have a song uh, that is very much um, gonna push people's buttons. Uh, it's called Straight Bars and Guns. It's my perception as a person of faith and a person who's from North America who lives in Berlin, Germany, there's caricatures of, of, of me. Uh, and sometimes, excuse me, sometimes they're spot on. Sometimes they're 100% right. Um, and sometimes they're just not because it, there's a cultural dynamic at play that isn't under, understood. There's something lost in translation. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say that the average Berliner or person who is in Berlin um, who doesn't have any type of faith or church background uh, will look at North Americans, specifically North American Christians, specifically North American white evangelicals in our current political climate, and just kind of say, well, essentially, that means you love guns and you hate gay people. Um, to which I would say that's a fair interpretation. And I'd also say it's also unfair at the same point in time. Um, and I wanted to write about that.
um, from the, I wanted to write a song as an insider, as a person who's part of, part of that world. I grew up in it. I'm part of that world. I speak that language. I understand those cultural things. I can see that characterization to be true and untrue simultaneously. Um, I wanted to talk to that group, which I am a part of in some ways. Um, but I wanted to, to use words of how my friends and family here in Berlin would describe them. Because that creates what I love, is cognitive dissidence. See, we live, we live right now in this, this time where people are, 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 are outraged and we're triggered, and I am, there's certain beautiful things that are happening in, in those moments where people are finding voices who actually never had voice before because they were marginalized, pushed to the edges, overlooked. People are being empowered in some very beautiful ways. And I love that. I want to see that happen. Unfortunately, it, 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 this, it reminds me so much of fundamentalistic religion where everything is black and white. Um, and I am, I don't know, I, again, I'm a person who is, I don't see things black and white, I see things a lot in gray, and I love cognitive dissidence and the notion of two things that shouldn't be able to fit together, figuring out, well, how do they, how do we get them closer together? Uh, so I'm not trying to intentionally poke the bear, rattle anybody's cages. I'm not trying to be offensive for the sake of being mean or for the cheap laugh or to push someone's buttons because I can. It's really, Again, I wrote for me, and I wanted to step into the conflict with me and say, what do I actually think about these things? Because it's really simple for me to just jump on board and just say, all guns are bad. Uh, which is where I land on most days. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then again, I, I just know some really beautiful, wonderful, responsible people um, who've always grown up with guns and seen as a tool. Um, but it also rubs me a very wrong way because I see it as a tool that's designed ultimately to, uh, at the very least, never be discharged, but it's there to strike fear or to give protection, which means that you're afraid. Um, and unfortunately, I just don't, I get it. I'm a person who is, I, I experience fear quite a bit, but the notion of making decisions based around fear is something that is completely antithetical to how I understand my faith and how I want to be a Christian. Um, so making decisions based around fear. And again, I live, I live in the real world just like everybody else and I understand how complicated that is. Again, it's cognitive dissonance. I wrote a bunch of songs with me just throwing stuff out where people are either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it or they're gonna write stupid messages on social media. Um, I'm more interested in saying, let's sit around a table, let's have a, a whiskey, let's share some stories and let's talk about it. Are we gonna solve the world problems? Probably not. Uh, are we gonna stop the next mass shooting? Unfortunately, 
we're not. Um, but man, um, what are you afraid of? I'm, I'd love to know that. And how can I, how can I, if I know you and know your name, value as a human being, how can I speak against fear that you feel? And if you feel like you need to arm yourself, gosh, could I, is there any way that I could help you feel disarmed? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 30, 38 years old. Maybe I'm just wishful thinking. But so I have an album coming out about gun violence. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. that's, um, I'm having so many thoughts about this. Mm -hmm. I think um, what you're touching upon is so multidimensional dimensional like political philosophical sure religious sure cultural i don't know like we could uh open up a whole new major at university about this <laughs> feels well yeah and but what i really love is that what you are essentially doing is because i was wondering you know you'd have to have a very thick skin to knowing that this is such a hot topic to and and anticipating critique sure to, to be like, here I am, and uh, I'm ready for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes and no. Uh, again, gosh, I mean, talk to me in six months. Um, we'll see what happens. Right now, to be honest, the majority of people who, who even listen to my music or know about it, they're, they're not in North America. They're, they're primarily here in Berlin. It's where I perform, it's where I live, and where I write my tunes. Um, and probably where also many people would agree with you, right? Like, I feel like that's true in some ways, for sure, definitely. Um, now, I do play shows in, in, in North America, mainly house concerts and things like that. Um, again, this is really the first project where I'm being very specific. I can't press you with words, though. Excuse me, it was... I can't impress you with, with words. It's the album I wrote simultaneously with this other project that's coming out. Um, and those songs are very political as well. Um, but again, you, I, I think you're right. Um, performing them here is with an audience that uh, either one of two things are happening. Either we kind of line up in some philosophical, political ways uh or uh they don't understand what i'm singing <laughs> and because there's a language barrier at times that's true uh, and i think i think that's safe to say um mm -hmm. or a cultural barrier perhaps also as well because some things i might be talking about might be just really flying over the heads of your kind of average berlin or german speaking person who may be fluent in english um but uh yeah like evangelicalism, for example, is such a, it's it is kind of a foreign concept. To it is, it is, it, it is, and it isn't. I mean, I mean, like, uh, evangelical in the sense of how it is portrayed in the media, and and and, and honestly represented in in North America, that is a little foreign, very much, very much foreign to Berlin context. But in terms of being evangelical, that stream of Protestantism, that's been in Germany, uh, you could make strong arguments to say before, but definitely before World War II. Um, 
But post-World War II, um, you start seeing a lot of what's called in, in Germany is, is the Freikirche. You start seeing the, the free church uh, come up. And um, uh, those, yeah. those, in terms of... It, it, it is different, though, because... It, it is different. It, it's different for this reason, because the word evangelical doesn't mean anything anymore. What evangelical means when we say this, uh-huh. it isn't tied to its original meaning uh, or, or how people who are evangelical uh, historically would define, they would define themselves. What, what evangelical means, evangelical is a, is a voting block of predominantly white people uh-huh. in North America. Uh, that's kind of what it was getting like, at. Like, like yeah. that, that's, that's what that is. And so, yeah. and, and that, I am 100% fine with deconstructing and poking at. Um, um, because I think it needs to be in some, in some healthy ways. Um, and so to come back to you, does one have to have a thick skin? I don't have a thick skin. Um, I'm I'm a pretty sensitive person. I mean, if a person is going to look me in the eyes, or or I I I thankfully I've never received any ridiculous hate oriented messages on social media. Um, but I know people who have, and I obviously read comments and hear people you know killing themselves or like I don't know. I I I don't I don't know. Maybe that's. Maybe receiving that type of um, hatred might happen. I don't know. Uh, uh, where the difference is is this: is uh, I am not my art. My songs are not my children. They're not extensions of me. Uh, I wrote a song. It's a song. Um, and at the end of the day, I know what I wrote the song to be about. But I don't actually believe. That that is the end meaning of the tune, um, because the meaning can change to the listener, um, and I don't necessarily want to have to be in the mode of explaining my art. It's art. I don't need to explain it to you. I think it, it should be experienced, and how you experience that, and how you interpret what it is that I'm perhaps saying or how it's making you feel, uh, is just a valid interpretation of the art um, so if I understand you correctly uh, combining what you said in the beginning with what you just said yeah would you agree that your art is or good art that you connect with is like a mirror in a way because you said in the beginning yeah. it helps you to see yourself better yeah and also what it would mean if if you feel offended then really it just shows you what What triggers you? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I want to say yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm also... You can say no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but this is why... Because I, 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 I'm resonating with it. But I, I'm also a person who... Sometimes I really need to sit down with an actual thought mm-hmm. for a while. And kind of take it apart like an onion and then put it back together. To actually say, do I think that or do I not? Is that... Or am I just making like an emotional response? Mm-hmm. Um Because it might make sense in the moment, but then, you know, it's just a figure. Uh, right. Of, uh, it's sure. just a picture, obviously, sure. yeah. I, I'm, I'm impressed just by your fearlessness in that sense, or, like, your courage to to maybe even write songs like that, um, not knowing what the response is going to be. 
um, and thereby kind of like you yeah. Know. But again, I, I, I think I think with that, see, I didn't mm-hmm. start off writing. Yeah. For a response, uh-huh. I wrote for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you put it out there in the world. Well, yeah, that's and still I, a decision. And, and I <laughs> and I actually paid to do that. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like I financed an album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I spent uh, uh, more money on music than I have ever done before. Uh, and signed a contract. Working with a label that I actually really believe in, with a group of people that I'm excited to be a part of, and working with people who would disagree with the content of the music, and I love that. <laughs> I love because that's again crazy. because that's cognitive dissonance. I think that's one of the most healthy things that we can do. Now, obviously, there are situations and times where it is wrong and inappropriate for people who have been radically hurt by each other. Um, yeah to be in the same space and to make the assumption that there can be some sort of reconciliation. Uh, I get that. Um, but I'm talking, look, if you're a person who just really, really, you know, you're, you're not, again, cause it's niche. If you're a North American white evangelical, same man who is, have a concealed carry permit you want to have your nine millimeter on you at all times to be able to stop whatever may happen um and you're also a person of faith who is gonna call themselves a christian and say that the gospel is important to them uh if you feel like you can take someone's life just like that, in the blink of an eye. Wow, I want to have a conversation with you because I want to understand that. Because I don't understand that. And I don't know how to, how to justify that or how you wrestle that with your faith. I'm intrigued as a theologian and as a pastor by that. Not pushed off. I want to come into conversation and relationship with a person like that. And it's not because I want to convince them. Um, I want to know them. Um, and to me, that's cognitive dissonance is just walking into a mess and a chaos and say, you're a human being. I value you. The sheer fact that you exist and to make the assumption that you can become or that you should have to become or think the way that I think or become like me in order to have more value is ridiculous to me. Um, but I want to know you. Um, and I'd love to hear your story. And I'm willing to bet if I could hear your story, I might learn something about myself too. Stuff I haven't even thought about. Um, And maybe I'll learn to love you and see you as a human being as opposed to this weird agenda or this weird thing. I don't don't wanna do that. Um, And if that takes, I I don't think that takes thick skin. I think that takes a great deal of vulnerability and a willingness to just say, yeah, this is probably going to suck. It's going to hurt. And, and you know what? I'm actually going to probably, I probably am going to cause harm and hurt by releasing this art because I will be misunderstood, but also because perhaps, let, let's, I can be very honest. I think, I think, I think, I think maybe, maybe there's something that I'm completely blind to. And by me just kind of willy nilly throwing this music that I wrote just in the, on my 
sofa in Berlin, in Neukölln, uh, and then being recorded and then just being thrown out to them, you know, to a group of people. Uh, yeah, that probably could cause some, some, some hurt and some harm. Um, and I hope if that, if that is true, if that is what happens, I hope that I would be able to talk to that person and say, and apologize, um, but to actually hear it and say, how did I, how did this hurt you? How did I hurt you? Um, uh, and is there any way to move, move beyond that? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, to, to me, I, this is weird, but I feel like being a human being is, um, like we're just kind of doomed to just like hurt people. <laughs> Someone's always gonna be upset. Um, you take a step, um, you make a decision, you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Someone's disappointed, someone's hurt. Um, this happens all around us all the time. I mean, if I even begin to think about all the people who, uh, just the clothes that I wear, who made them? What type of life are they living? Is it fair? Are they making a livable wage? Probably not. Um, I exist and uh, at their expense in some ways. It's like if you're born into this world, you're bound to hurt we, someone. Yeah, which is which is really interesting. Even and if you don't have any intention, like you know, yeah, you buy yeah. your clothes yeah, somewhere, yeah. and you don't think like, oh, uh, somebody made this and they didn't get paid yeah. a fair wage or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or you, or even, or even, for example, just being you know a heteronormative cisgendered white male mm -hmm. uh, who's married. Um, the way in which the lens that I've, through experience, that I've walked through the world is vastly different from, the, from, from people who don't fall into that category. Vastly different from my wife, who's, who's a woman, and her experience and how she walks through the world and sees and interprets everything around her. Um, it's very simple and easy for me to just kind of walk through the world and not think, um, and to just kind of react out of habit, which can cause harm. Um, and we should be called on that. And we should be called on that in a way in which that is restorative, in a way in which that says, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. But now, but then the following response is, but now that you know, what will you do? Again, that's cognitive dissonance. It's just willing to say relationship is hard. Being a human being and existing in a social, in a, in a social construct, in a society, uh, around other people, we're gonna really upset people. And I don't know, I think art can help us look at that in different ways, approach it in different ways, under, understand it in different ways. Um, I think, I think if I'm being very honest about this, this project that's being released where I'm talking about guns 
In some ways, it's me trying to explain this evangelical voting block in North America. I'm trying to explain that to my friends and family here in Berlin who are just baffled. Um, but I'm not trying to do it in some way that's nonchalant and that's unfair and um, yeah, I mean, I, that's, I'm, I, the more I think about it, that's one of the motivations. I, but, but I don't know. I, I mean, I could be totally deceiving myself and being very disingenuous right now. I don't, I, but I, I feel like that's true. So, yeah. I had to think about a quote. I don't know who it's from. I might find out and post it somewhere on the internet when I found out. But it's it goes something like this. People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but they will not forget how you made them feel. Yeah, I've heard that too. And that's something that I had to think about yeah. when you were talking about your songs and your approach. Um, because, yeah, because um, the ability to listen, I think, is what ultimately lasts. Because yeah. what you say and have to say, and undoubtedly have to say, you know, yeah. there are things that are that have to be said and communicated, sure. but they will maybe not even be received. Yeah. You know, because people have their opinions and stuff. Sure. But the, the, the fact that you sit down at a table with someone and just listen, I think that's such a such an invaluable thing. I think I think it is invaluable. But but it's also tricky. Like there's a Gilliwa, she's a folk singer. Um, and I, I, I was listening to a podcast where someone was recounting a story about Gillian Welsh as, a, as an artist um, um, where uh, someone would come up to her and say, hey, uh, that song that you wrote, isn't that about, and they f fill in the blank, is that about the Titanic or is that about, you know, um, the gold rush or, uh, you know, um, and, and, and she or this is attributed to her, that instead of actually explaining where she was, what she thought, all the stuff that made that song that song, instead of saying any of that, she just looked at him, looked him in the eyes and said, yeah, it is about the Titanic. <laughs> um, and I like that for a variety of reasons, um, but that also ties into this becoming complicated because... Um, so the person who heard that song, that's what they were thinking. It made them think about the Titanic or, or whatever. Um, so a person who can hear a potential song, Russian Roulette, for example. Um, gosh, if you've had a negative experience with Russian Roulette or related any or have any type of relational con, you know, uh, relationship to anybody who's been, struggled with mental illness or who has died because of gun, uh, like a, a gun safety accident. Um, um, that might come off very different to the listener. Mm -hmm. And how that makes them feel is going to be very different from how I felt when I wrote it. Whose feelings are right. Um, Again, I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is knowing the feeling. And if this quote is true, that people aren't gonna remember what we say or what we do, but they are gonna remember 
how he made them feel. That's beautiful and terrifying at the same point in time. Um, uh, but to me that also, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure that can be, I experienced that same sense of beauty and terror within my marriage. <laughs> um, and I only mean, mean that in the sense that um, uh, my wife, Yasmin, and I, we've, we've, it'll be 14 years in September that we've been married. Um, and I just mean that it's an intense, focused relationship where we've experienced change. We've changed. We're not the same people that we were when we got married. Um, uh, and I am deeply interested in how she feels. And we can experience the same thing in completely different ways. Uh, and that's terribly difficult and hard and messy um, and so beautiful when you sit in it and you realize Oh, okay, when I did that, when I said this, or whatever, it made her feel either less than, or better than, or great, or shitty, or whatever. Um, and your intention that moment doesn't really determine that, right. what she's feeling. That's right. interesting. It's, that's just right. like songwriting, right? Right, exactly, which is, which is, I think, that's why I think art is so helpful for us, mm -hmm. as human beings. As It's almost a way of... Um, helping us to have these types of conversations. Again, I'll say it again, but the, the notion of cognitive dissonance, it's not black and white, it's gray. Let's move into the gray. 100% willing to bet and 100% willing to listen to someone who wants to say, it's not gray, it's black and white, and you're wrong. And then I want to say, awesome, help me understand that. Hmm. Um, because what do I know? I mean, I, I could be wrong, so. What I love about your work is that, I want to say, aside from your songwriting and performance as Romer, but it's not apart from this. Sure. You're um, hosting or you're organizing mm -hmm. open mics. Yeah. Is it every week? Every Wednesday, yeah. And it's at Prachtwerk Café? Yeah. Uh, it's in Neukölln. In Neukölln, yeah. And I think that this idea is very much represented in that space to, you know, to listen to each other, to hear different perspectives. I would agree. And I mean, of course, Berlin, um, there are, there's a certain he hegemony even amongst musicians, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But even so, I think you're opening up a space to where people are willing to listen and to to be reflective of where they're coming from sure. and where they're going and sure. so do you want to explain a bit more about your how you came about organizing that open mic yeah um well the, the open mic open stage scene in berlin has been around for for several decades and What's so cool about Berlin is you can, if you want to, you could get on the stage every single night. As an artist, that is an incredible opportunity. Um, and I, when I started 
playing the open mic scene, which I really started doing in 2013. Uh, I had been in Berlin since 2005. I'd been writing songs and playing music, but that wasn't like a, a big focus. Um, in 2013, I started entering the open mic scene and, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on, meeting people, seeing what's happening. Um, and I played in a lot of different places and I learned a lot and saw a lot of different, exp um, how shows were run, met a lot of different hosts um, who more often than not are, are, are just artists um, themselves. Um, and this is one of the ways that they either just out of pure love and passion are doing it or it's a mix of that it's also a mix of helping them pay pay some bills unfortunately i don't know of anybody who's doing anything like this who's paid near enough what they should be um that's a whole other podcast and side conversation but um you know uh, the owners of procferic are just really good friends of mine uh neighbors and I knew that Procferic was going to be opening, and they knew that I was a musician, that I was playing music, and asked if I wanted to be involved in any way, or did I want to work there, work behind the bar, or, or you know, and I was not interested in any of that. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I, I wasn't interested in um, connecting friend relationships and money. Yeah, uh, that's difficult. It, it can be. I just... They're my friends. I wanted to be their friend. And, uh, but, but I did have this idea of, I'd love to start an open stage because Prakrik is this gorgeous mid-sized venue. We were going to have a killer sound system, and we do. It's amazing. Um, and the potential was really cool. Um, but I wanted it to be different than some other experiences that existed already in the open stage, open mic scene in Berlin. Um, not to create competition, not to demean any of them, but just to offer something different. And just to see, is it possible to make a culture shift, to change? My experience had been that you would walk into an open, open stage, open mic in Berlin, you get there, you know, an hour or half an hour early. You try to find out who's running it. You find the list and write your name down or they write your name down. Um, it's not gonna be a great sound system. Um, and you, more often than not, are gonna have to fight an audience to, to have someone listen to you. Um, there's a lot of beautiful and good things to learn from that setting as a performer and as a songwriter. I think. I think we need all those because you learn a lot about yourself in those moments. I wanted to create something that was altogether different from that. Um, and I based our open stage off of an event that my high school buddy, Justin Trawick, mm -hmm. started. He uh, has an Americana band in the Washington, D.C. area called Justin Trawick and the Common Good. Um, he started an event called The Nine, where he invites eight uh, artists, and he always plays, so he's the ninth. Eight singer-songwriters, and they each play two songs. Um, 
at, at, at a music venue. But the thing was, was this, is um, when you're starting off and you're a singer-songwriter, chances are you have a small audience. So trying to book a big, a big show somewhere yeah. is hard. The same thing here in Berlin. Um, the same thing in Washington, D.C. Uh, and so Justin wanted to be able to play in these bigger clubs, but had a small audience. So he just thought, well, what if I created a showcase and I had eight artists and each artist could bring 20 to 30 people? Well, that's a full show. And um, there'd be a door fee. And what could happen is you could, it's interesting for a booker, it's interesting for a music venue because money's gonna be made, drinks are gonna be sold. Um, it's like a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. Yeah. Uh, and I played, I had the opportunity to play the nine a couple times and I just loved it. And I love, Justin is, again, he's one of my best friends. I love the man. And he's, a, he's brilliant at creating events. And um, the nine has actually taken off. It's in parts of New York. Uh, it's in LA. Um, the nine, like the number nine? Or yeah, like, yeah, okay. the number nine, because it's nine artists. Ah, um, and so, uh, yeah. so I took, I took what I learned from him and that model, and I put that towards an open stage event um, where I created restrictions, which is a weird thing to do in Berlin and amongst artists, mm -hmm. um, because Berlin is, is, we're free and we break rules. Um, but I wasn't just thinking about the artists, I'm thinking about the audience. And there's certain sense of restrictions, restrictions might be the wrong word, but limitation can help us create something that's a little focused. We had time, we had time constraint. Music at Prattwerk has to be done at uh, 10 p.m. Um, so there's no way around that. And, and there's so many great open stages in Berlin that can go well into the early, early morning hours. Yeah. But we're not allowed to do that. That's not from the boss. That's like from the Rathaus here in Neukölln. Like City Hall is like, no, you can't, you can't do it past ten. And so they're right next door. Right. Yeah. So so we have we have this time frame. That's a limitation. It's a constraint right off the bat. Um, so I wanted to create a uh, this 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 thing where we would invite eight to nine artists. Um, each would play two songs. We'd give them about ten minutes on stage. The stage would be very generous in terms of sound and monitors, all the gear that you could possibly need. Um, but also, another constraint or limitation, it'd be pretty darn minimalistic. We don't have a drum set on stage, for example. Um, if you're a band who has, you know, five or six people in it, you need to figure out how to reinterpret your music in a smaller setting, or our event is not the right event for you if you don't feel comfortable presenting your music that way. To me, that's a fine limitation. Um, I wanted to create an environment where the artists on the list respected each other. And that tends to happen naturally when you're in the music scene here in Berlin, after a period of time and you start to get to know each other. Um, there's a huge amount of camaraderie, camaraderie and relationship amongst a lot of the senior songwriters here in the city. I wanted that to just happen from the beginning. 
not that you're going to be best friends, but you could be a pro legit musician who is going to play, you know, the Rota Salon on Friday, and you're going to play the open stage on Wednesday at Prackler to promote that show. And you can be on the lineup with an artist who maybe has written two songs, and from an aesthetical point of view, they're not great but you have fun playing them, I want to treat you and respect you the exact same way and put you in the same lineup to where both artists have to respect each other. Um, I want artists to show up on time um, and, and I want an audience to listen. So I had all these things and it took, we've been doing this for five years it took about a year and a half, almost two years, before we could convince an audience to listen. Um, but it has grown significantly. It has. It has. Um, and what's really cool is since we started, new open stages have happened. And, um, and they're successful. And they're doing some really fun things, different from us, but also taking some similar, similar approaches. And I love it. I think it's great. Um, and yeah, really, I mean, the open stage at the end of the day is I wanted to create a good experience for the artists, for the artists and a good experience for the audience. Um, and I wanted it to be professional. I wanted it to be organized. I wanted an artist to be able to walk in and instantly know what's expected of them. Um, equally so, I wanted the audience to know that through repetition and through pure um, um, reputation that they could come on any Wednesday night and it will be eclectic and diverse but it will be well run and professional and it will sound good uh, and that they'll have a good time. Um, and I feel like that's what we've created. Um, and we'll see what that looks like down the road. I, I love it. I volunteer my time to do it. I'm not paid a dime to do it. I wholeheartedly love doing that on Wednesday. And, and if I'm in Berlin, I'm there and I'm doing it. Um, and it saddens me when I can't. It's good to have a break because I'm human. But um, I have so much fun doing it, and I've learned so much from artists, and I've learned a lot about myself as an artist and a performer and songwriting by just being around a huge diversity of people um, and also being exposed to new genres of music, which is so fun. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah, that's the open stage. Yeah, I've played there once or twice, and I really enjoyed the atmosphere there and I think what you described about artists respecting each other I think that's something that isn't talked about a lot I mean I think that is something very important because yeah. um, sometimes when I talk with friends who are also musicians I ask them honest questions like do you also feel that that jealousy and that insecurity sure yeah and I mean I know for me that's a big deal like I um, I can feel jealous really easily. Of course, of course. And um, so what I love about the open stage that you're doing is before each show, you have all of the 
artists get, gather backstage yeah. and just have them <laughs> look at each other and yeah. and learn or at least hear each other's names. Yep. They know who else is there mm -hmm. and they say hi to each other. Yeah. And you know, you're not doing any ritual or whatever, you're just you're just getting them in the same room right. and sharing this intimate space of like we're getting started and isn't this exciting right and i think that's such a valuable thing because in those moments and in, in moments like this i realize like how much we all share yeah we might be diff on different levels professionally yeah. Yeah, or yeah. even you know inexperience or whatever but it's it's the glances of like oh i'm nervous or like right Uh, and and that you know and that happens so often because we have this mm -hmm. backstage room mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I have a co-host Kelsey Bray yeah um, and the two of us we try very hard to always have someone in the backstage room um, and one kind of out and about we take turns in introducing but we mainly do that because there's some really neat things that happen in the backstage room people do get nervous regardless of how their experience or their professionalism. Or, or lack thereof um, and that's a cool thing to see it's a cool thing to encourage it's a um, yeah I, yeah um, what's even more cool to see is how relationships from friendships and even bands in some cases have started because of people meeting each other at the open stage and they they're not they may meet at ours the first time But then they're going to go somewhere else, and they're meeting somewhere else. So whether they whether it be a Barquette or Kindlestuben, I mean, there's so many different ones, which is awesome, and um, yeah, it's actually one of my favorite things to do. And sadly, I don't get to do it a lot, but when I can, I love it. I love to sign up and go play other open stages, because when I'm there, I'm just an artist. I'm not Ben who. Is Romer who organizes this open stage at Prackberg. Um, I'm just another person on the list, uh, and I like that. I like creating community. I don't want to do that heavy-handedly. I, I feel like I want to put some key things in place to where, like what you just said, we have a meeting in the backstage room where people have to acknowledge that another person exists that they're either playing before you or after you. Um, look them in the eye and at least know their name. Um, and then take it from there. Human beings are designed for create for creativity and connectivity. Uh, I think just putting people in a room together, something something's bound to happen. Um, and some really neat things happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. Cool friendships. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I like that. I, I have some of my really close, really close personal relationships are with artists that I've met at the open stage. And I think it's great. I love it. Um, yeah. And I love that that, that, it, that it is this space of just last night, because it's Thursday today when we're recording. Last night was open stage. We had an artist come back. Uh, he, he lives here in Berlin. He's just really busy. Uh, hasn't played maybe two years. Wow. 
now, and he played last night, and it was awesome. It was so fun to reconnect with him, and to, uh, it was just great. He's one of my favorite songwriters, he's a great guy. Um, and I love the fact that he, he actually called me the day of, he goes, hey, I know I didn't sign up in advance, I know you have to sign up in advance, is there any way I can get on? And it just so happened that someone got sick and canceled. I said, it'd be great to have you, dude. And so he came. And it was, but I love that he felt like, I want to I want to perform. I want to play music. It's Wednesday night. Open stage is happening. I'm going to call Ben to see if I can get on. Um, and then he felt like it was okay for him to do that. And that, that there's this space. And... I mean, I haven't, again, I haven't seen him in maybe a year and a half. And the fact that, it, that he just knew that it was there and that he could was awesome. And I like that. That, that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. I have three final questions Great. for you. Great. So I think that's something that actually we talked about already quite elaborately. But I think just maybe you can put it in different words or a bit more concisely, what would be your dream for the music scene in Berlin? Um, well, that's pretty simple. Um, I want it to exist and to create. Um, I want songwriters and the people in the music scene to continue to make music. I want them to be innovative. I want it to be authentic, personal, explorative, edgy. I want that to happen. Now, as an artist, I just kind of know that it is going to happen. But equally with what I want is this. And this doesn't have to do with the artists in themselves. I want those who consume art to be more appreciative. And this is going to be a weird word but I want them to be sacrificial and generous. Um, I want Berliners to pay for the art they consume. I want them to, I want them to walk to, a, to an event and go to a show, and when they see a 10 euro door fee, that they don't freak out. I want them to be like, 10, oh, that's cheap. Um, when we pass the hat I want them to put paper money in the hat and not coins which is one of the most offensive things that I think that we do on a regular basis how dare we and I, and I mean that wholeheartedly how dare we what do I desire for the music scene generosity I think artists are doing that amongst each other and ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've had a show and have seen other artists show up and pay to come. That's a big deal because we live on, you know, ridiculously small budgets. And we're surrounded by people who are gonna walk into a music venue and spend 20, 30, 40 euro on drinks And then when we pass the hat, just throw some coins in, ridiculously offensive. How dare you? How dare we? How dare we stand for something like that? What is my desire is generosity and sacrificial because that's what it, it, it costs. 
Um, and it's also risk because, you know, what if I go to a show and the person's shitty and I don't want to, I don't like their music? Hey, cool. It doesn't mean you need to buy their music, but you walked into a space where they existed and are playing. Respect that. You don't need to come back. Um, that's what that's what I would love. That's what I wish mm -hmm. is generosity. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to do that yet. Mm -hmm. I'm working on it. Uh, I, I hope, hopefully, other people are too. Um, it's it's very hard to be a singer, songwriter, musician in Berlin uh, full time yeah. as your job. I think it's easy getting started, but yeah. then being appreciated as the the working person that you are is not very easy. Yeah, yeah. Because. I think often it's like, well, this is fun for you, right? I'm like, yeah, that is fun, but it's also work. It's, sure. Um, we sure. put a lot of work into this. And sure. Yeah. So it's really both. <laughs> yeah, it's both. Yeah. What would you say to young singer-songwriters that are just starting out or to your younger self? What advice or insight would you have for them? Oh, some of the best advice I ever got, uh, which is something I love to freely give, um, is learn to fail more and faster. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's part of maturing, part of growing, evolving, whatever word we want to use in this situation. Uh, making mistakes is part of life. It's part of learning. It's part of creating. Um, learn to do that faster. Uh, I know for me... I wouldn't do something, I wouldn't play a song until I knew it was perfect or really good. Or I wouldn't perform the song live uh, unless I thought I had memorized it completely. I don't do that anymore. If I write a song the day of, I will show up. If it's on Wednesday, I will show up to open stage and I'll play it that day. And it will not work, or it will. I'm fine with failing. Because uh, I learn a lot. That'd be the best. The, I think that's the best thing that you can do. This is such a risk. It's a huge leap or giant leap of faith. Learn to fail more and faster. Um, and then learn from that. Yeah. That's great advice. I think that's something that I have to think about a little bit more. <laughs> That's something, I think that's something we don't like to hear. No, we don't. You know. I heard that when I was 34 years old. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I, you know, to be honest, I think it applies to so many different aspects of life, not just music. Mm -hmm. And the person who was telling it to me wasn't talking about music at all. Okay. Um, and so, um, but it's been something that's really stuck with me. And I, I love to freely give it. Yeah, I think it's. It, I think especially in the in the music context, it is so easy to be focused on the glory of the stage and of the audience. Yeah. yeah. Applauding, um, and you being able to like show your skills, and I mean, I know it's not just that. Of course, it's also an act of creativity. At sure. the same time, it's all kinds of things. Sure. But, it's easy to to dwell there with your thoughts and with your ambition to be like oh i just want that glory right and not at the same time be open 
to the possibility of maybe embarrassing yourself exactly from time to time. Oh, exactly, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. So, where can people find you online? That's my last question for you yeah. today. Well, um, if you just type in Romer, R O E M E R, which is my artist name, it's also my middle name. Type that into Spotify or. Amazon Music or iTunes and stuff will come up. Uh, you can find my music that way. Or uh, you can go to romercollective.de. Um, that's my website. There's the links to everything is there. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it's Romer, R-O-E-M-E-R. Okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I just loved having you here. It was a ton of fun. I was glad yeah. to be here. I'm a fan of the whole thing, even though it just so. got off the ground, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm also a fan of, of what you're doing at uh, the Open State. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. See you soon. All right.